0: Hey, what's going on? Thank you for tuning in to this episode of While We Were Working. It's episode 88. And if you've come this far and it's your first time, make sure you hit that like button, subscribe, wherever you're tuning in so you can catch more episodes of the While We Were Working podcast. I'm Joey Price, host of the show, along with Summer Keytron, our consulting practice manager here at Jumpstart. And we're excited to jump into a brand new show for you today. We've got some exciting topics that you'll want to learn more about. We've got uh, updates to the new I-9 process that you need to know, because if you are doing business in America, it impacts your business. And then we've got a, a consultant's corner question about being in a financially struggling business and what things we can do to help prevent layoffs. So. Summer, we've got a big show today. Are you ready to get started?
1: I am so ready. I'm happy it's August and thrilled to be here doing another show. All
0: right, so let's get into it. So um, you want to set us up with while we were working and the article that we're checking out?
1: I would love to. And To kick off the while we were working segment of our show, uh, if you haven't joined us before, this is the part of the show where Joey and I take a look at what's happening in the world of business and you know, what things you might have been so busy uh, working, you might have missed. So today we're going to actually talk about some massive updates that are happening in the world of the I-9. And hopefully most of you are familiar with the form I-9, but in case it doesn't sound familiar, that is the form that all employees have to complete within their first three days of employment to verify their identity and their eligibility to work. So if you have employees, regardless of which company you're working for, this episode and this segment definitely applies.
0: Yeah, and this may feel like a segment where we get into the weeds a bit. Whether you're in HR or not, you still want to pay attention because, hey, if you're a hiring manager and you're bringing on someone for the first time, they're going to be completing this document and you want to make sure you're doing it the right way. And of course, if you're in HR, you're already one of our people. You know this is important. Every single person who goes into a business, must complete this form if you are on W two paper. Uh, if you are on W two, payroll. So, uh, this episode we are covering this. Uh, I guess it's called a, a press release or a news alert from the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services because they're publishing the revised form I nine and um there are a few things here where they're moving. Sections from one section to another. They're revising lists of acceptable documents. They're cutting instructions from 15 pages to eight pages. Uh, but there are some other things that we want to drill down specifically, and that's about completing it in person versus remote. Uh, Summer, what are your what are your thoughts on on this new update?
1: Well, uh, first, I'd like to chat about. It's not really new news, but I think it is relevant and a great time to just mention that for anybody that did a remote verification for their in-person team members, that the deadline to actually verify those documents physically in person is the last day of August. So if you haven't done it yet, you still have the month to complete it. And then the second piece that I'll mention is for this physical inspection of documents if a separate individual is doing that verification then the individual who initially completed the remote verification you have to complete um, an entirely new section two uh, so just an important takeaway there's a ton of information about this um, on the uh, the USCIS website, but just wanted to make sure we chat about that before we dive into the new form entirely.
0: Yeah, and I wanted to, I'm glad you brought this up because I was on a call today uh, talking about um, the differences between compliance in the U.S. versus compliance in other countries, for example, Germany and the U.K. Uh, so, so it was a call about, about Europe, European compliance. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about you know GDPR and they were asking, Hey, is is the U.S. you know really tight with uh, compliance? And my response to them was, well, you know, no one's gonna beat down your door to make sure that you've got this paperwork complete. However, if there's a prompting or an audit or something that causes DOL or USCIS to come knocking on your door, you better have your paperwork right. And Summer, I'm sure you can speak to this. Uh, You've gone through some I-9 audits. I've gone through some in in my past as well. And you could have airtight policies today, but it's always about the documentation that happened months ago, years ago, that you had just forgot. And now it's like, oh my gosh, how do I clean this up? So this is a great opportunity for you to, or to have us take a look at your I-9s, see what's correct, See what needs to be updated so that you can have clarity and peace of mind about if the door is knocked or if you get the call, you can respond and say, We've got our form I 9s, they're complete, they're updated according to standard, and we would pass a compliance test.
1: I think that's absolutely excellent advice, Joey, because I think I 9s aren't a problem until they're a large problem. And there's really no in between. So just because you've never had a problem in the past for maybe being a little relaxed in handling them, it's it's not something that you have you want to have to go through. So I always say fix them while it's on your schedule, fix them while it's on your terms. And that's the best time uh, to fix your I9s. But you know, we're here to talk about the new I9 form that was released today, August 1st, and some, uh, you know, kind of new and or updates in the process from our friends over at uh, USCIS.
0: Yeah, so let's go through this real quickly. Um, One of the things that is updated, I've got this here. Uh, So the first one is reducing sections one and two to a single-sided sheet. And what this is, uh, section one and two, is basically the information that an employee gives to uh, the employer. So it's all the information, like your first name, last name, are you a citizen, yes or no. So we actually have, um, I'm looking at the, the old version right now. And section one is all of the things that you need to know about a person. And then section two is the documentation. Uh, the documentation list. So there's list A and then B and C. So it's combining all of that into one one piece. Uh, The next thing is that it's designed to be fillable form on tablets and mobile devices. This is one of the big issues that I've seen in the past about, you know, you have to print this thing out all the time, and when you print things out, you know, uh, you hire someone and their P's look like Q's, their L's look like I's. The K's look like J's, and it just it makes for a significant uh, risk for data error. Um, So now that you can complete it on a tablet or computer uh, and save it, then that helps reduce the uh, the errors. Uh, Mm -hmm. What are some other things that you see on on the list there somewhere that people need to know?
1: There's there's a couple of I think really great improvements because there's some sections on the form that it never fails. It's very confusing. They get completed in error um, when they shouldn't be completed. So one is the preparer translator certification. So that's just a section that's uh, unfortunately too close to where the employee um, and the HR rep needs to sign. And you know, you're know you to check a box um, that you did or didn't use a preparer or translator. So that's actually being moved to a totally separate um, and a standalone supplement. That only needs to be completed when it's necessary. And then uh, Section 3, the re-verification and the rehire section, again, it's only applicable if you have somebody who had a work authorization that was expiring and now you're going to update it or a rehire. So again, kind of moving this to a totally separate standalone supplement, I think it's a great plan because it doesn't apply to the vast majority uh, you just need to remember that it has to be completed when it's
0: applicable. That's right. That's right. Um, another thing we've got is uh boost section three, which is re-verification and rehire, to a standalone supplement that employers can print if or when rehire occurs or re-verification is required. And maybe we should do a master class on I9s, but that's basically if you let someone go or they go take another job elsewhere and then they come back while their Form I-9 is still within the eligibility period or the retention period, you can go back and re-verify that person with that document. And so that's where it's it's basically saying, this doesn't apply to everybody, but for those that they do, um, and a great example would be seasonal workers. Maybe you, you let folks go, but then you bring them back on. Um, or students that maybe do an internship and then you bring them back for a job and another semester. Uh, that's when you might want to use this section, and it's it's moved to a standalone. Uh, the other is that it revises the list of acceptable documents page to include some acceptable receipts, as well as guidance and links to information on automatic extensions of employment authorization of documents. So that feels like it's more to help people who are on our side uh, complete this and do it the right way so your hiring managers, your HR, your field supervisors, your warehouse managers, it's just all the info that you need to know in order to successfully roll this out. And then like uh, I said it before, reduce the form instructions from page 15 or from 15 pages to 8 pages. I don't know about you summer, one little s- small joke that I have about government documentation is that they're always talking about there's always some line about um, paperwork reduction act but these these documents are all so long so it's like well where are you reducing the paperwork
1: <laughs> you know uh, just, just a little uh you know little comment on that oh my gosh it's almost laughable right because it says the estimated time to complete this form is five minutes and you're like I don't know who completed this in five minutes because it always takes me 15, but maybe that's just me. <laughs> um, no, it's not just you. Right. Uh, but I think it's great that there's actually been some progress in making the form what I think is a little easier to use, a little a little more simplified, but there's a really big win, I think, in all of this, depending on you know how how you feel about e-verify. Um okay. so First, I'd like to kind of set the stage and say, if you are an employer in a state where E-Verify is required, then uh, congrats, you know, you're already one step closer. But I mentioned that because not every state or not every employer is required to be on E-Verify. So if you're one of those that was required and you're like, what are like, why are you saying this? It's because for some it is optional. But the big, big, big change that's come out with this brand new I 9 form is that if you are on eVerify, or if you sign up for it, if you're not already, you will now be able to do that remote verification of the documents so long as you are on eVerify. That's a pretty big win. Don't you think, Joey?
0: It's it's one of the best wins because what it's saying but not saying is you can continue to do remote verification as long as you do it with this tool. So it well, I guess it's also saying you you can't do remote verification if you're not using this tool. Right. So it's a way to it's a way to corral people in to adopt eVerify. <laughs> And it's, it's a super easy tool to use. Um, I've used it in the past, some, are using it, some of our clients are on it. Um, but really, uh, and this isn't like a commercial for eVerify, but it's a fail safe way to prove that your documents uh, that your employees provide mm-hmm. are, ele- uh, are up to date and they're, they're legally uh, given out to the person mm-hmm. so that you reduce the risk of people giving you false records or false documents which can result in fines and fees on its own if you accept those and use them for, for verification. So I'm a big fan of this. I I am all about obviously the remote experience and making sure people have that flexibility. Um, Summer, you had mentioned in a previous episode too about who can fill out uh, the, the Form I 9 whether it's someone who's uh, at home with the employee or not, th- does that kind of change at all? Do you see any, any indication of that being updated or or what do you think?
1: Uh, the the guidance in regards to who can complete, uh, like sign the attestation that they've verified the documents has not changed. So I, I think depending on, you know, as a company, who you authorize to complete that on your behalf, Uh, This is definitely going to help with organizations that have remote team members because the alternative, which some companies still do and may still decide to do, is to utilize a notary uh, just because they're used to looking at these documents. But, you know, you will have potentially one party doing the actual completion of the I-9 and then an employer uh, actually doing the e-verify because e-verify can't be done, uh, by somebody who is, you know, a friend, a notary, like that is employer technology. And I'll also mention that if you're not on e-verify as, as Joey, uh, referenced, it's really easy to use the process start to finish to actually verify an employee. is like maybe five minutes or less. Um, but it's actually the training that you have to complete in order to have access to the system that you need to land at least an hour, two hours for. So, I think all in all, it's a really big win. It to me, it's, it feels like a very fair trade off that if you are going to verify and inspect documents by video, that you also have to enter them into eVerify. Um, One last piece I'll mention is that if you are going to do the remote verification, there is a requirement to keep copies of the documents. So that's a little different. And if you're inspecting these actually in person, retaining the copies of the documents is optional. So don't miss that really important piece.
0: Yep, yep, yep. Super important. Okay, we're going to go ahead and transition to our, our next topic here. And of course, if you're in the market for uh, a refresh of your HR strategy, maybe you you need that missing piece of HR in your business. Uh, reach out to us at jumpstart-hr.com for our team to become your team and help guide you towards better HR outcomes, better workplace experience, and better better I Nines. So we're at jumpstart-hr.com. That's where you can reach out. All right, we, we started this episode talking about uh, a topic that related to hiring. Uh, this one is related to a company that may not be in the best financial position, but we got a letter in from someone who reached out to us at hello at jumpstartshr.com. And uh, the gist of it is the company that they work for is struggling financially. Um, they're trying to come up with a proposal to manage labor expenses to avoid a large layoff. But they wanted to know from HR folks who've been in this business for a while, what are some options that they might consider? So first of all, you know, this is never a fun conversation for anyone to have about how do you keep things moving when budgets are tight? Uh, It's a very real conversation for many businesses out there. And unfortunately, um, it, it continues to remain. And so... Uh, hopefully, this conversation today will help you and your business navigate those waters. If you are, if you're faced, uh, or you can um, share this episode with a, a a business colleague or friend who might be going through the same thing. So, Summer, I know you have a list of ideas uh, that that a person might suggest to keep things moving. So, I'd I'd love to hear your thoughts on what you'd recommend if this person was. Was talking to you face to face about about this scenario.
1: Yeah, it really is a, t- a tough situation. I and I do think that the options will vary based on so many factors. And I have been, uh, I I have been a part of a company that has had to, you know, take these types of measures. And we've supported companies who have had to. So I, I think this is a great topic for us to discuss just to kind of put some ideas out there. And, you know, certainly the first one that comes to mind for me is what I would call a voluntary reduction in force. Now, uh, you know, certainly doing uh, an involuntary reduction, it's a very different process, right? Because leadership is making decisions on which positions are going to go. And with a voluntary, you don't want those that you need to retain for business continuity to go. So, um, it's it's kind of a delicate walk. But I, you know, the way that I would suggest that this is approached is, of course, having an all hands meeting on the state of the business, and that uh, managers will begin having conversations with individuals about you know, their roles and, you know, whether there is a potential interest for them to pursue this and then to kind of talk about what that looks like. If somebody comes forward and says that they want to participate and they're really somebody that the company absolutely 100% needs to keep on staff, then I would start talking retention bonuses for those individuals um, so that you keep them in place. But if there's roles that would have been selected in an involuntary riff, and that individual is thinking, you know what, maybe I'm close to retirement, maybe I have different priorities, maybe I'm just burnt out and I was going to leave anyhow, Mm -hmm. Uh, then this could be, you know, kind of a nice opportunity for an individual to leave on their terms and a company to, you know, not have to go through kind of that same emotional experience of an
0: yeah, I, I think that's a, a good option. Um, we, we saw that quite a bit uh, in the travel industry when COVID happened and individuals who were either near retirement or looking to pivot elsewhere, you know, um, got packages and flew off to another destination, um, pun intended. So, so it's a very real uh, idea Um, There's past precedent for it. There are experts that can help you here at Jumpstart craft a voluntary rift strategy because it's not just something you do and you say, oh, uh, I'm going to add it to an agenda item and I'm going to talk about it in a meeting. Uh, There's way more than that. So before you even uh, get to the point of announcing it to a team, you want to make sure that it's it's, uh, an idea that's been vetted. Um, So another another topic that you um, you could discuss uh, is on your list here summer and that's executive pay reduction. And so that's uh, your executives planning to cut back on their compensation or bonuses or allowances, whatever the case may be, for the purpose of reallocating more dollars towards um, other team member compensation. How have you seen that play out or what things should people consider summer if they want to do executive pay reduction?
1: Yeah, it's definitely not a popular topic. I can say that it's, you know, it's a tough one also because asking anybody to take a pay cut is not a fun thing to do. It's not, you know, it's, it's never well received, but Because it's generally executives who are at those significantly higher pay levels, they're often also kind of the same segment of your population who can still survive if they were to take a pay cut, right? It's very different than if you had an employee who maybe is making, I don't know, $60,000 a year, they're living paycheck to paycheck, and asking them to take a pay cut would be a different level of severity. So the way that I've seen this um, happen is actually one of my prior employers. And, you know, we, certainly the executives, I should say, already kind of going into these conversations are usually those that are also closest to the financial health of the business. So it it was really just a group conversation of like, hey, like we can, you know, we can potentially lay off part of our staff and know that like it will cripple running the business or each of us can take a pay cut of X percent, knowing that the, you know, according to how the business was performing at that time, that it would just be for predetermined period of time and we would all be able to like resume business at kind of that new normal but we just needed to get by so it was kind of one of those like you know can we count you in you know can you do this and to my surprise everybody agreed
0: yeah, no, that's a, that's, a, that's a great story. It's encouraging um, for, for the person who, who wrote this in who might want to suggest that because to your point, Summer, um, financial struggle, it's not always a indefinite thing and it's not always a fatal thing. Sometimes it just could be seasonal. Maybe there was a, a big account you were expecting to win and uh, didn't come through. Or, you know, budget was allocated because something was supposed to happen that didn't. But, you know, business is an ongoing thing. And so if uh, executives can have the foresight to say, hey, we're better together and I'm willing to play my part to make that happen, then reduction of executive pay is something that you should strongly consider. And I think it's all the more incentive to push harder to get things back the way that, uh, they need to be in order for for repay to be restored. So that's a good one. Um, another one you've got here is, uh, looking at unused subscriptions. Uh, I think every company just even quarterly, uh, with your accountants or your CFO should look at where your dollars are going. And if you're spending on them, um, we, we had a, a recent thing, it was super, super small, but like we were paying for one Adobe subscription on an annual basis and then another one on a monthly basis, but they did predominantly the same thing. So it's like, well, just, just cut one. I mean, it's not a loss to the business, just cut one. So take a look at your subscriptions. Um, I'd even say, take a look at the, um, the interest that you're accruing on cards and if it makes sense to uh, pay those down, pay them off. Take a look at, you know, the interest that you're that you that you're paying out because that's just going you know to your bank. Um, something else that I guess you could cut is maybe uh, oh, this is the, the other thing. So I won't go too far, but um, cutting the travel, uh, if there is a lot of back and forth, maybe that could be cut to Zooms or uh, sending, you know, hospitality packages or thank you packages to your clients that maybe you'd read in person in lieu of uh, airfare, which uh, is, is also also rising. But um, Summer, what are your thoughts on, on cutting back subscriptions and travel and, and other expenses?
1: Yes, I, I'd say subscriptions for sure. Uh, there's a client that I worked with who, as part of their onboarding, they just granted a lot of access to things like Office 365 and some of their um, internal tech, and they had a lot. But I think when it came time to kind of look at spend, they'd realized, oh my gosh, everybody gets these 365 accounts, but they're a Google shop. So really only a couple were actually using it. And there was actually a huge potential just there for savings. But, you know, speaking of Google, uh, sometimes what happens is folks leave, you keep the account active, of course, change password, right, but keep the account active. And then just kind of forget that it's sitting out there. And that adds up so much, especially if you have a lot of employees. Um, you know, you talked about freezing travel. I think really any non-essential perks that can be put on pause. So it's not a like, no, they're going away forever, but like, just uh, like, hey, we have to be wise with how we spend our money right now. I, I, I think our all really great options that a company may want to consider if they're you know, kind of in this dire state of, you know, financial health.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, these are some ideas and we'd love to hear more from our community. Uh, so if you've got some ideas, drop them in the comments, share them on social. We'd love to hear from you because we're here to help people that empower people at work. And sometimes empowerment is giving that that key that unlocks the door to a strategic issue or concern. So we'll we'll wrap this episode up. But it's been great chatting with you, Summer. As always, it's episode eighty-eight. We're almost at hundred. We've gotta we've gotta start planning now for the for the big episode one hundred. Maybe get a, a a few special guests on there. But uh, if you like the show, subscribe, hit the like button, leave a five star review. And check our growing catalog of of, uh, advice, inspiration, and expert tips over at our While We Were Working podcast pages. And if you need HR services for your business, check us out at jumpstart-hr.com. See you later.
1: Thanks, everyone.